Chronicles in the Old Testament, we see a story, a time when Israel was in real trouble. They had turned their back on the Lord and trouble was on them. In fact, uh, let me just read this to you and I want you to, to picture in your mind what I'm reading. It says, in those times there was no peace for those who went about their daily activities because the residents of the lands had many conflicts. Nations were crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every possible distress. No peace, conflict, distress. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, we are living in a season just like this of distress. You know, we've been fighting this coronavirus now for 30 weeks, I think it's been, and it has swept all over the world. You are living in a time of a global pandemic. And because of that, people are not always suffering physically, but Many are suffering economically. There are many that have lost major business. Some have lost their jobs altogether. Some are in complete and total financial crisis. And on top of that, you have all kinds of racial tension and unrest happening right now in our country. On top of that, you have wildfires and hurricanes that are pounding our, our coasts. On top of that, we have political division and, and, and hatred that you, we haven't seen in maybe ever, certainly not in a long time. And, and you can't help but look at that and say, well, you just, those words, God troubled them with every distress. What's God up to? What's God doing? You know, um, Usually when trouble comes, people respond in one of two ways. They either pull back away from God and they go, man, I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to go in my hole. And, or maybe they get angry with God because of that. Or they lean in and they say, God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? God, how should I respond? And as a church, as followers of Jesus, we need to be in that latter category, all right? We need to be people that lean in and say, God, what do you want to say to us right here and right now? This is an historic moment in the life of our country, what are you saying to us? God, what are you doing? And so that's why I wanna share with you something that I believe is on the heart of God for us right now. In fact, I wanna get your Bible, I want you to open it up to the Gospel of John chapter 17. That's where we're gonna to be today, John chapter 17. And while you're turning there, John 17, just the context of it is that Jesus is in the last hours of his life he is with his disciples and the night before he will soon be arrested and then that next morning he will be crucified so he is with his disciples for the last time he washes their feet he shows them their love his love he shares with them a lot of what is coming and he instructs them on, on how to respond and the hope that they can have when things go crazy when things are troubled and then at the very end, he, he prays for them. By the way, there's not probably any better thing you can do for somebody when you love them is just to pray for them. And Jesus prays for them. But what we're going to read is the last part of that last 
prayer. This is the last prayer that Jesus ever prayed for his disciples. The last part of that last prayer is so powerfully relevant for us today, and you'll see why in just a moment. So let's look at it. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. This is the word of God. Jesus said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Stop right there. This is the Lord's Prayer. Now, you're immediately you're going, wait, wait a minute, Craig, that's not the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer starts off, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be that. That's the Lord's Prayer. Well, actually, actually, that's more the disciples' prayer. That's Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. But this is actually the Lord's Prayer. This is Jesus praying, our Lord praying. And in these quiet moments and in these last moments with his disciples, he kneels to pray for them. This is, if there is any place in the Bible, this is sacred ground. This is holy ground where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And it's interesting here that he starts off clarifying who he's praying exactly for. In verse uh, 9, he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you've given me. So he's not praying for everybody. He's praying for Christians. He's praying for followers of Jesus. And then in verse 15, he says, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, but that you would, I'm praying for them while they're in the world, while they're in the crisis, while they're in the trouble, while they're in the chaos, while they're in all of that, I'm praying for believers in this world that are facing these troubled times. And then in verse 20, the first verse that we're looking at here, he goes on to say, look at it again. He says, I pray not only for these, that is the 12 disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Get that? He said, I'm not just praying only for these 12 right here and what they will face. I'm praying for all those who will believe through their message who are facing trouble and crisis in the world. That means he was praying for you. In this passage, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. I mean, if I were to tell you, hey, man, this is, a, this is an incredible Sunday. You're not going to believe this. This is a Sunday unlike we've ever seen before. But Jesus is here. He's in the back room, and he's praying. No lie, really. Just follow me. We, you follow me around the corner, and we come in the door, and there is Jesus kneeling down on his knees. And if you get close enough to hear what he was saying, you might be shocked at what he's praying. Because he may be praying about things that you've, you've not even been praying about. But he's praying for you. He's calling you by name. What's on his heart? What is he praying for? Well, it says right here. He's, look at verse 21. May they all be one. Now I want you to circle that word one. Jesus prays that you would be one. What does that mean that Jesus praying for Oneness. By the way, this must be on his heart because he repeats it multiple times. In verse 11, he says, so that they may be one. Verse 22, that they may be one. Verse 23, they may be completely one. 
He mentions oneness four times in three verses. I mean, this is obviously on Jesus' heart. So what does it mean when he prays that we would be one? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean institutional oneness. He's not saying, well, we just need to all kind of drop the denominations and all come together. I mean, a lot of people have said that. That's not really what he means. Some critics of the Christian faith have have said, well, there are over 40,000 Christian denominations around the world. Well, that's, uh, that's obviously a gross exaggeration. That's not actually true. There are a few hundred uh, denominational distinctions. Many of those are subsets of a larger group, like there may be Catholic and then multiple categories under that, or Baptist, multiple categories under that. But Jesus is not talking about that. He's not talking about institutional oneness. And he's not necessarily talking about just agreeing on everything. I mean, even the disciples in the book of Acts didn't agree on everything. Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on everything. And certainly we in this room probably wouldn't all agree on everything. So he's not talking about agreement necessarily. So what's he talking about? Listen, he's, when he talks about oneness, Jesus praying for oneness, he's talking about oneness of heart. Oneness of heart. You know, when... Uh, A couple gets married. It's this mysterious thing, right? This couple comes into the room and they're individuals from two different families. They're so different in many different ways. But but when they come together and they say their vows and they pledge their heart to one another, the Bible says that the two become one. Genesis 2. To become one flesh, that means one family, one heart, one in intimacy, one in purpose, one in love. And that's kind of the idea here. He's saying, I'm praying for your heart. Jesus is praying for your heart. So let me, let me just stop right here for a minute and just say, how's your heart doing? In all the trouble, in all the crisis, in all the unsettledness, how's your heart? Is it, is it worried? Is it anxious? Is it angry? I mean, our hearts can be very troubled. In fact, earlier, Jesus prayed for them, and he said, let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, Jesus is concerned about our heart, and he's praying for your heart. And listen, Jesus is the hope of the world. Do you agree with that? Jesus is the hope of the world. And he created the church to point people to that hope. But in order for us as a church to really live out what he wants us to be in this moment, we got to get our heart right. And so he prays for our heart more than anything else. And so how does Jesus pray for our heart? How can we have oneness of heart? Well, let me just kind of uh, break this prayer down for you. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. The first thing you pray for is you have one heart for God. One heart for God. Look at verse 21. He says, may they be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be also in us. See that in us? He's praying that we would have one heart for God, an undivided heart uh, for God. And he said, it's just like, Father, my relationship with you, you're in me and I am in you. And the oneness that we have, that they would be one in us. Think about all the oneness that Jesus had with his Father, right? Jesus loved his Father. He was devoted to his Father. He obeyed his Father. He glorified his Father. Uh, he, he, he was in fellowship with his Father. In fact, in John 8, Jesus said these words, I always do what pleases him. Right? That's a pretty bold statement, right? I always do what pleases my Father. That's the relationship they had. And he's saying, I pray that they, that is you and me, would be one with, with the Father, one with him. That we would have a devotion to Christ unlike ever, ever before. 
Now, here's what I, I want to dive into that just a little bit deeper. Can I do that? Can I just take a couple of turns a little deeper into what that talks about? Uh, you see, when you become a Christian, uh, one thing happens. You become unified with Christ, all right? You step into a relationship with God through faith in Christ that is unity and oneness. Uh, in fact, Jesus, I love Jesus talked about that uh, in John 10, 27. Just mark John 10, 27 out in the margin of your Bible. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now get this. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Now, what he's saying is this. When you come to faith in Jesus, it's almost like here you are, and Jesus has got you in his grip. No one can snatch you out of my hand, but the Father has also given you to me, and so no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, so I and the Father are one, so we got you, all right? We got you. That this is, this is a foundation for eternal security, the doctrine of eternal security, that we are positionally secure and in a union with Christ. This is why you hear the phrase all the way, or read the phrase all the way through the Bible, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's all the way through, over 70 times, depending on your version, over 70 times in the Bible, you see the phrase in Christ. We just sang the song, in Christ alone is my hope, right? It's all because we are in Christ, at the moment you're saved, you're placed into union, into oneness with Christ. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, a beautiful truth. But listen, not only are we positionally in Christ, but we also need to passionately pursue oneness with Christ. I mean, yeah, it's just like in married. You're, yeah, you're married, you got the document, but are you pursuing one another in love? And that means we need to pursue Jesus to pursue an intimate walk with Christ, especially when our hearts are troubled, especially when the world is troubled. Are you doing that? You know, this, all the things around us, the news feed, the, the social media, the, everything, the, the sound bites that come swirling in, they can just distract us from what's really important, and that is your relationship with the Father through Christ. Can be a distraction. I remember when our girls were little, we took them to uh, Disney World, not land. We went to the world, Disney World, and uh, we we parked way out in Sub-Saharan Africa and had to take the tram in, you know, and and, and there they, they see, you know, in the distance the castle, and and you go through and you give the mouse all your money, and then you get in, and and there's all these creatures, and they're just like ah, you know, just raptured, and and so that we had to walk through a gift store, go figure, and to to get to the park, and so there's all these T-shirts and these games and these figurines and everything on movies, and I mean they're just amazed and I remember turning to Liz to say something I turned back and one of them was gone just disappeared so I'm kind of looking around and I mean I, I can't she vanished I cannot find her so I finally tell Liz and she, so we start scurrying around and there was a little twinge of panic right that she was something happened to her somebody took her I mean, there was so many people around there and then we told one of the security people and so they're, now they're on the radios and they're we're all looking and we found her just not too far away but she was just you know standing oh you know looking at everything she had no idea she had wandered away she was distracted. See, that can happen with us when we're constantly looking and scrolling and, and uh, we're so worried and so afraid and, and so unsettled 
that the cares of this world, the troubles of this world, can actually cause you to drift away from the one thing that gives you peace, and that is your love for Jesus and your heart for God. So Jesus prayed, Lord, in the midst of the crisis and the chaos, I pray that they'd be one with us. I pray that they would just drive deeper down. What does that look like? What do you mean, preacher, deeper down? What does that even mean? That means that, that you carve out time for prayer. Listen, when things are like this, we need to be on our knees. More time in prayer, more time reading God's word, more time worshiping, more time being together. We need this because as we do that, we, we grow deeper in love with the Lord Jesus. He said, just as I love you and you love me, I pray that they would love us like that. So how's your heart with God? Allow your pursuit of God to give you great peace. He prayed for that. He prayed for you to do that. The second thing he prayed for is not only that you would have a one heart for God, but you'd also have one heart for each other. Look at verse 22. He said, I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. He said, I pray you have one heart for God and then you would have one heart for each other. And, and so let me just kind of give you my little nerded out way that I think about this verse. When I read, I have given them the glory you have given me, I'm thinking, what glory is he talking about there? And by the way, uh, commentators are all over the map on this one. Some think, well, he's talking about the glory of heaven. Some think he's thinking about the glory of, of service. Uh, they're just really all over the map on this. So this is where I've settled in. I really believe he's talking about, now follow me here, the glory of the gospel. He said, I've given to them what you've given to me, and that is the glory of the gospel. The gospel is that God came to us when we did not come to him. That God put on human form, and he lived among us, and he went to a cross, and he died, and he rose again, and he ascended, and he's coming again. That is the glory of the gospel. And listen, it is this gospel. They're starting to get it. They're starting to understand who Jesus is. They're starting to understand what he's come to do. They don't fully understand it now. They will very soon, but they're starting to get it. And he said, this glory of the gospel I've given to them, and it is this glory of the gospel that makes them one. Now, how in the world does the gospel make people one? It's very easy to understand that because it is in the gospel that people that are hostile come together. It's in the gospel that people that would hate one another love one another. That people that would uh, repel one another actually embrace one another. That happens in the gospel. And you know what? I have seen it with my own eyes. I've been in Israel and I've seen uh, Jewish men and Palestinian men embracing one another in love. How in the world does that happen? It's because they both came to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Or they're brothers in Christ. I, I, I've been to uh, Central America out in the jungle, all right? And, and I've been to a boardroom in China and I've been into a cathedral in Eastern Europe and I have been, I've been in a, in a, under a tree in Africa in all these different places. When we come together, I am embraced, physically embraced as a brother. How in the world did they embrace me when we're so different? It's because of Jesus, right? Because we've heard the gospel 
and we are brothers in Christ. And see, that's what the gospel does. The gospel breaks down the, the, the wall of hostility. By the way, I'm getting into my sermon in two weeks from now, so I better not go too far. But, but the gospel breaks that down. And so that's what Jesus prayed. He said, listen, if you're one with me, then that's going to overflow with one for each other. And so Jesus prayed that you would truly love one another. Jesus envisioned in that prayer of a group of people that would love each other and pray for each other and encourage each other and support each other and sacrifice for each other. That's what he wants for us. Now, let me apply this in two different ways. One way is that some of you have what we call church hurt. You know what I mean by that? In other words, you went to a church expecting that and you didn't get that. You went to a church and somebody said something bad about you or hurt you or betrayed a trust or, or ignored you. And listen, I, that grieves my heart because that is not the heart of Jesus. That's not what Jesus had in mind. But don't let your past rob you of what God wants for you in your present. And that is a family to love and be loved. That's what Jesus prayed for, that we would be one, that we would love one another in that way. But let me also apply it to you this way. Uh, in a very contentious environment, I'm talking about now politically contentious environment, it is very easy for us to allow our individual ideas and thoughts to overrun and override our love for each other. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. Come on, preacher. I mean, when I get on Facebook and I see brothers that I know or brothers and then they're getting at each other, I'm like, time out. We cannot allow our, our momentary opinions to override our deep, unified love for one another in Christ. It should not be. It should not be. In fact, just think about it this way. Simon the Zealot was one of the 12 disciples. You know what a zealot was? A zealot hated the Romans, wanted to seek to overthrow the Romans. In the same place, uh, Matthew the tax collector was in the 12, right? He actually worked for them. Do you not think that they had some political uh, disagreements? Absolutely. I think Jesus probably said, okay, Simon, you over there, Matthew over there, you're both in timeout, all right, for a little bit. Y'all just cool it down, all right? But they found a way to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we need to do the same thing. Before you fire off that post, before you make that comment, you ask yourself, am I demonstrating love for my brother or my sister? You ask yourself that. And let love win. Let love override. Let love be what people see. So that the world looks at us and go, oh yeah, they bicker just like we bicker. They fight just like we fight. They call names just like we call names. No, no, no. They should look at us and go, wow, in all the craziness, this is the only place where people still love one another. Let your love be for another. That, isn't that what Jesus said? He said, a new commandment I give you. Here's my commandment. It's not a suggestion. A new command I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. 
So what, what was Jesus praying? He was praying that you would love the Father, that you would love God with all your heart in the craziness of this world, and that you would not allow the, 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 the swirling chaos to ever divide brother to brother, sister to sister, but that you would love each other well. Are you loving each other well? Now's the time to do it. But then he prayed for one more thing. Jot this down. A love, love for God, a love for each other. And then he prayed that we would have one heart uh, for the world. Look at verse 23. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one. Why? Why should we be one? That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus prayed that we would be completely one so that the world would know that God's real, that Christ has come, that there's a new king that unifies and not divides, that, that we're in a family, that they would know that Christ is who he claimed to be. You see, the whole gospel message is a message of love, right? For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, Greater love is no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. That, that nothing can separate us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us, Romans 8, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, that, that's the whole motive. That's what sent Jesus to us. That's what held Jesus on the cross. That's what the whole resurrection was about. It was the glory of God shown in the love that he had for this fallen world. And what this world desperately needs is to know Christ. Jesus is the hope of the world. And listen, you cannot legislate hope, but you can demonstrate hope, right? You cannot legislate love, but you can demonstrate love. And one of the things that I am so proud of you about is over this whole uh, coronavirus crisis and all the ensuing uh, drama that's been happening of, as of late, that you have done a great job of pressing into loving our world, loving our city, loving our community in really tangible ways. I've seen you, I've seen with my own eyes, some of you feeding the hungry and the homeless, taking meals every week, not just once, but multiple times for months. I've seen many of you uh, sharing the gospel. I've seen you uh, providing clothing for people that desperately need it. I've seen some of you actually praying for teachers and principals, literally going on site and praying for doctors and nurses and patients that are sick. I have seen you take food to uh, emergency care workers and city officials. Why are you doing that? Why? Because you're demonstrating love, God's love for them and our love for them. Folks, this, you may never ever get another opportunity like this one when people are so hungry for hope, so hungry for love to show it right now. We can't miss this opportunity. This is our chance. And so Jesus prayed. He said, Father, I pray that they would love you with all their heart. There would be one heart for you, God, one heart for each other, and one heart for this lost world that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, is that, is that what you're experiencing now? Oneness of heart? Let me close with this. Jesus, um, 
I, I envision Jesus kneeling when he prayed. I envision it that way. Jesus on his knees, you're listening in. Father, I'm praying for them in this chaotic world that they would love you and would love each other and they would love this world, God. Father, do this, hold them, make them one. But you know what? He didn't just stay on his knees. He got up off his knees and he went to a cross. And on that cross, I want you to understand that on that cross, he took what we deserved. Our sin, our waywardness, our wickedness was placed on the back of innocent Jesus and God crushed him on the cross because of what I have done and what you have done. He paid our spiritual debt on that cross. He suffered the wrath of God against sin on that cross. And that's why he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment that he was suffering the wrath of God out of love for you. Out of love for you. They took his lifeless body down off the cross. They put it in a borrowed tomb. They sealed it over. But three days later, the grave could not hold Jesus from the grave. Amen. Three days later, the grave could not hold him back. And he rose again from the dead. He showed himself over 40 days alive to hundreds of people. He ascended to the Father. And he said, listen, I'm coming again. But in the meantime, I am offering hope and a change and love and life to anyone who will come to me by faith. Listen, you're never going to find hope in this world. It doesn't have it to give. You're never going to find life in this world. It doesn't have it to give. You can only find it in Christ. He's the only one that has it to give. Do you know him? I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're here and your heart's troubled. And you, you see everything that's happening around and, and yet you realize that Jesus all those years ago was praying for you, seeing you right where you are, right where you're seated. He saw you, he was praying for you that you would be right with him and with each other and that you would be a light to this world. And listen, maybe, maybe you can't be one with other believers and you can't be one, uh, have one heart for the world because you've never really been right with God and today is your day to be right with God. This is your divine moment. This is your defining moment. When you've heard the gospel and you have an opportunity to respond in saving faith. Maybe you're watching online and you have never given your life to Christ and you feel so troubled in your heart and in your spirit. You need to come to Christ. You need to run to Him. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to God, to, to respond to the gospel, to respond to what you've heard, God's great love for you, to respond. And the way you do that is by praying and asking Him to forgive you and to come into your life and to change you. And if you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe right now God's just working on your heart and you're like, I need to be right with God. I need to be right with God. I'm so troubled and it's because I'm not right with God. And right now the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart that now is the moment for you to come to Christ. Then with every head bowed, nobody looking around, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. When you lift up your hand, you're just saying, I need the Lord. I'm not going to call you out in any way, but I am going to pray for you 
All right, thank you. Thank you. Just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I just need to be right with God. I need to be right with the Lord. All right. Okay, anybody else that just lifted up? One last chance. Lift up your hand right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Pastor, pray for me. I need to be right with God. All right, anybody else? One last chance. All right, put your hand down. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Father, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again for me. And Jesus is my only hope. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash my sin away. Please make me a new person. Today I choose to follow you and to live for you. Thank you for forgiving me. Father, I thank you for your your deep love for us. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that on that night you prayed for us, for what we're facing right now, that we would be one undivided, indivisible, one church that has one heart for you and one heart for each other and one heart to see the world come to know you. And Lord, I pray as we go out into this, into our jobs and into the work and the school and all the places that we're gonna go this week, into the chaos and the turmoil, Lord, I pray that we would go with one heart, that we would know you more deeply, that we would love more sincerely, that we would see people around us the way you see them, that God, you would use us in this moment in time to point people to the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.